Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to a summer edition of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast. I am your new host, Alex. You can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. And we have our on-air talent, Joe. How's it going, Joe? That's pretty good. I'm actually, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm Joe. I've been better. Uh, I've had a more intact face before, but we're powering through. Uh, you can still find me at Joe A underscore NFL on Twitter. And uh, there's a Patreon in my Twitter bio that is totally free, but it's like where I put, I put my content. So check it out. Yeah, appreciate you making it out this week, Joe. Uh, I know you you got a, a dented face, took a, a little hockey accident. Uh, jaw I, isn't doesn't have full integrity. I ate an elbow at hockey on Saturday morning. I spent thirty to thirty six hours in an emergency room in New York City. They did not operate on my face, um, so that was a really efficient use of my time and my entire weekend. So excellent. Yeah. Until Friday, I have uh, my cheekbone is literally just floating in my face. Don't make me laugh too hard. Well, luckily, that's not too much of a worry with me. So we'll uh, we'll jump into some football then, huh? Yeah, I guess so. So this week we are moving into the second to last tier. This is these are not the worst quarterbacks in the world, but pretty darn close. These are the guys that are C quarterbacks. I believe we have six of them this week. Joe, do you want to start with the lowest of the C quarterbacks? I do, but before I do that, I kind of want to—I I want to make a statement, <laughs> a preliminary statement to put this in context. So I like—I like how we're starting. Last week we ran off the bottom five plus Mitch Trubisky. Uh, so you know, Tua, Jalen Hurts, Trey Lance, Lamar Jackson, and Zach Wilson. I don't necessarily think I would rather have the quarterbacks in the C tier than the C minus tier on my roster because it's a matter of upside. Um, so don't be shocked when all of these quarterbacks are fucking abysmal. Yeah, obviously we'll, we'll go through each guy. I agree though, that a lot of the people that are in the C minus category, especially Lamar Jackson, Jalen hurts and a little bit too, uh, like we've seen them have success before. Whereas these other guys, we haven't really, but it's going to be fun to get into. So who's up first. All right. Um, we're making an audible. I'm switching number 26 and number 27. The worst C quarterback is Mac Jones. Hell yeah. I love it. Starting off. Um, okay, because you texted me that you you were kind of upset that Mac Jones wasn't in the lower category after doing this. So I was wondering if he was going to drop to right on the edge. Watching, I had to finish up some Mac Jones film study today and be on the lookout because I'll be putting out my uh, my full breakdown on Patreon either tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon. Um, I have complete, I've completed grading all 18 of his games, even the one where he threw three passes. Uh, Mac Jones is fucking putrid. It's so bad. And there's almost no redemption in him. It's astounding. So I want to start off by saying that of the 18 games Mac Jones played, he had two games with an above pedestrian grade. Against Cleveland in week 10, I gave him an A minus. Against Jacksonville in week 17, I gave him a B minus. Except there's a problem. His A minus against Cleveland, it was a clean game. But if any other quarterback performed the way he did, it would have been a B. He was accurate. He was accurate on 80% of his passes, but they didn't throw very many passes at all. He had four inaccurate passes, four good passes, three great passes, nine pedestrian passes. This is this is Big Ten football level passing volume, and it was fairly efficient. He had more positive plays than negative, but not by a ton. It, so, like, Mac Jones is high 
his best game was okay. And then the rest of it, all the other games were putrid. He had two of the five worst graded football games I've ever seen from an NFL quarterback. Uh, famously, there is a debate. I have a tie. I don't really know how to handle this data. Uh, week three, Mac Jones had probably the worst game of football I've ever seen a quarterback have. Uh, all right, so the... give me give me a little bit more about that game. Yeah, I'm I'm a, oh I'm gonna go in on it. Uh, it was against the Saints. It was in New England, so he had home field advantage. Saints classically a road team. <laughs> well, actually, now the breeze is gone. They're not really the discrepancy yeah. isn't as bad. But anyway, um, and the defense pretty good no matter where they. Mac Jones, who's known for his accuracy, was accurate on fifty one point oh two percent of his passes. Is that good? Does not sound like it to me. He had three pickable balls. Not also not good. He had twenty one bad passes that were not pickable. I, I think that is legitimately the highest number I've ever seen. He had a positive play on a whopping 10.91% of his snaps. Not what you're looking for. And he had a negative play on 52.73% of his snaps. That's actually impressive that it's higher than his accuracy percentage. It was more likely that Mac Jones would hurt your team if he dropped back with the ball in his hands in this game than it was that he would throw a pass that would hit a receiver in the hand. Exactly, for the master of accuracy, Mac Jones. It is an abomination of God. And the rest of his season followed suit. As, so as much as I like to talk about how this this Saints game in particular was terrible, a lot of that is just volume. Uh, the Patriots were getting blown out, so they needed to keep throwing even though he sucked. And therefore, it just kept on getting worse and worse. He actually had an arguably worse game against Buffalo. In New England, so home field advantage, in a playoff showdown with everything on the line, in New England, Mac Jones, he was accurate on 44.8% of his passes. He had a negative play on 54.6% of his plays. Wow, that is steep. Now, the volume wasn't as high because the Patriots really tried to slow the game down with lots of running. That was how they thought they would stay in the game, by just keeping the ball out of Josh Allen's hands and increasing variance. Uh, it didn't work. Mac Jones was putrid. And frankly, I don't see any I don't see any reason why you would stick with. It. I don't. But aside from just his general performance which was again, it was just fucking awful. His average game grade was a 1.28. That is a D plus. That's again, it's just an abomination. It's terrible. He is as unathletic and unimpressive as you would expect. His arm is a C, a C plus rather. It's not a C. But like it's not it's not markedly it's not stronger than Jalen Hurts. It's bad. So he's got a yeah. weak arm, one of the weakest of all the starting quarterbacks. His accuracy is actually not very good. Um, okay, so break that down a little bit more for me because that, that seems to always be the thing everyone talks about with him. Yes. So what people confuse with Mac Jones is that he's not actually very accurate. He's just very consistent. So and, and I so his precision is an A minus because Mac Jones will hit really easy passes very, very consistent. If you want somebody to throw a three-yard slant 50 times, Mac Jones might be your guy. He's, a, he's amongst the best three-yard slant throwers when it comes to volume and percentage of accuracy. However, he's not actually accurate because he doesn't have the ability to drive balls. His ball placement is usually terrible, and almost all of this stems from the fact that his arm strength is so putrid. He can't get the ball there. I'm not joking when I tell you he underthrew about 13 swing passes this year. That's that's a lot. Like, the and ball it, didn't it, – it's not like, oh, the, the running back had to stop or the running back had to turn. The ball didn't get to him. He wasn't being hit. The ball just didn't get to the running back on the sideline. It's it's like legitimately 
incredible that anybody thought this man had the physical tools necessary to play NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, because we everyone knew, like, he doesn't have a strong arm. You're going to have to work around that, and you know that you're you're limited to, like, 35 yards of the field. Yeah. But it's so bad. <laughs> like, even, even I mean, I don't even trust him at 25 yards. No, you shouldn't. Like a 20 yards is like the furthest that I feel like he can get a ball that I don't think it's just hanging there for eight seconds. And that's part of the thing is that a C plus might even be a little bit generous to him as far as arm strength goes, because so Tua's got a very weak arm, right? But he throws with a lot of drive. He zips the ball in there and it keeps a pretty flat trajectory. Mac Jones can't. Every Mac Jones's arm looks almost identical to Peyton Manning's arm in his last year, two years in, in the NFL. Yeah, after the next surgery. Yeah, he, every ball is floating. Every ball is hanging in the air. A 10-yard pass needs two seconds to get there. He can't. Mac Jones is physically incapable of throwing a completed pass to a tightly covered receiver because Mac Jones doesn't have the velocity to fit a ball in a tight window. Mac Jones needs a lot of room so that the ball has enough time to get to his receiver before a defender can make a play on it because it hangs up in the air like a punt, even when it's a 10-yard pass. It's, by the way, this leads me to one of my points on Mac Jones. He had uh, 23 pickable balls, which is good for almost 4% of his dropbacks. How's that uh, in relation to the rest of the other quarterbacks you've created? I'm really glad you asked because remember how we made fun of how like Joe Burrow threw so many turnover worthy passes and Lamar Jackson threw so many turnover worthy passes. Lamar Jackson threw in 11 games, 21 pickable balls. That's 4.1% of his 508 dropbacks. Mac Jones threw 23 in 18 games, but only had 591 dropbacks. The percentage rate is 4.1% of dropbacks for Lamar Jackson were pickable, 3.9 for Mac Jones. So the, pretty much the same. Very close. Exactly. And and we're talking about Lamar Jackson's passing as being such a detriment that it completely over, overrides his running ability. What about Burrow? Burrow actually has the exact same percent rate of interceptable passes as Lamar Jackson, 4.1% of his dropbacks, which is 30 pickable balls for Joe Burrow. They threw the ball a lot this year. And again, only 0.2% higher than Mac Jones, who's supposed to be the game manager that protects the ball. Uh, and again, the number one most uh, turnover-prone passer, shall we say, in the NFL in 2021 was Matt Stafford, with 4.4% of his dropbacks being pickable. But unlike Matt Stafford, Mac Jones is absolutely and totally incapable of hitting big plays to make up for it. Yeah. I was going to say is that Stafford, he it's that, that gambler mentality. Of, he's going to go chuck them downfield, especially with the offense last year. It's not always going to work, but it will. And it's going to win them some games. I mean, it literally won them the NFC championship. Um, but Mac, you have no hope. I mean, honestly, I think like he could throw like that Russ sky ball because his ball floats so much a little bit like what we were talking about with Tua is they get like really good uh they get really good arc on it but he's limited downfield but it, it, there's something there I'm actually glad you brought that up because coming out of Alabama uh my my scouting report on him is that and I'm really proud of this because I don't think I've ever nailed a prospect as well as I did Mac Jones I said Mac Jones is basically that kid that you went to high school with he's your buddy he's a nice guy He's not particularly impressive, but he's a rich kid. And his dad paid for him to go to this like $2,000 ACT prep course every week. And he went to this great private school and he got solid grades there, but they do great inflation because it's a private school. And 
he got a solid score on his ACT, but he spent so many thousands of dollars on prep courses. And now you send him to Harvard. Is he going to be a good Harvard student? Prevailing wisdom is no, because he's basically just gamed the system every chance he can get, utilizing leverage that most people don't get to utilize to put himself in a scenario that now he's not capable of handling. And that's basically what happened in Alabama. He had an all-star wide receiving core at Alabama. He was better than Tua, but not by a ton. It was a really easy system to thrive in, and he did. But that doesn't make him good. And um, the, the one positive I gave Mac Jones was I said his arm range, his arm power in terms of zip and in range is terrible. But if a wide receiver can win a vertical route, like a go route, a streak, even maybe a post, if they can win within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, Mac Jones throws one of the most perfect deep balls you've ever seen. It's elite. It just doesn't go very far, so it's not particularly useful. Kind of yeah, like what it, we said about Tua. Yep, because he just, he. I remember I watched, I didn't watch a ton of Mac, but I watched a decent amount of him. And it was like mainly he would be terrible throughout the game when you watch him. A bunch of short passes that he would complete a lot of short stuff, but he would still miss things. And you could just watch how limited the offense was. But man, like once or twice a game, he would throw some ball that, like you said, it would only end up being like 35 yards downfield. But they would be just beautiful, like drop right into the guy's arms. Wide receivers would have like one step. And it would be the only, it would be in a place they were the only one that could get it. So this is a little bit sad. In his 18 games, Mac Jones only had three elite throws, by far the lowest I've ever seen anybody ever have. Um, compare that with like Justin Fields, who notoriously sucks. He had five in 11 games, three times as often per drop back. Did Justin Fields have an elite throw? Like Baker Mayfield, who had one shoulder and notoriously a very conservative passing offense with no vertical weapons through six elite throws in 14 games, a 1.3% clip. So it's just, it's unprecedented how unexplosive Mac Jones was. Truly an abomination. However, when I was watching the last few games of Mac Jones today, there was one throw against the New York Jets week seven to Kendrick Bourne. It was a, per, it was a streak route. Yep. And he threw the most beautiful, high-arcing, dropped right in a bucket go ball down the left sideline it was perfect yep that was the one i was thinking of it stuck in my head yep and then i i i counted out the yards and would you like to know exactly how many yards that ball went downfield how many 21 yards from the line of scrimmage wow i really overshot it i was <laughs> thinking it, like 30 35 if you count from the launch point it was 29 yards because he was eight <laughs> yards behind the line of scrimmage but it was 21 yards past the line of scrimmage and i i like to do both because how deep a quarterback gets on their drop is partially on them. Like Kyler Murray needs to be deeper. So you need to take that into account when measuring the distance of his passes, et cetera. I think it's important to know both numbers, but yeah, 21 yards downfield. It was perfect. But if you don't win that route immediately off of the first couple steps as a wide receiver, it's not available. So like a DK Metcalf, he wins deep routes all the time. That's what he's there for, but he doesn't win him quickly. DK Metcalf usually wins his go ball about 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, which means that, Mac Jones can't get him the ball. He doesn't have the arm. It turns into a floater. It turns into a punt. And Mac Jones loves throwing punts when he's allowed to let it, quote unquote, let it rip. I think I saw him throw four. He threw two to Nkeel Harry. Harry took both down, which is impressive because Nkeel Harry sucks. Um, one was against Indianapolis. I counted it as a big time throw because it was a 45 yard pass, but like it was a 45 yard punt that Nkeel Harry caught. And I'm mostly just being generous because I felt bad. Get some emotion out of you. Well, like at a certain point, upping his grade a little bit on one throw 
to give him the benefit of the doubt isn't going to move him from the dregs of quarterbacking all the way up into something worth keeping on your roster. And again, my general philosophy is when grading a quarterback that I'm much lower on than society, I always give them the benefit of the doubt if I can. And yeah. for some godforsaken reason that makes no practical sense, uh, a lot of evaluators such as PFF really liked what they saw from Mac Jones. Most people are walking away from 2021 saying he was the best rookie quarterback, which, as you'll see this list unfold, I think is a farce. You know, he, again, he just didn't impress me at all. The guy is, is supposed, because you know he's not going to, like figure it out and you're just waiting for him to harness his tool like he's he can get a little bit smarter and figure things out in the nfl but he is so athletically limited and he's not actually that accurate he doesn't actually make that incredible of decisions so he can't just like absolutely dissect the defense and get through with his brain it definitely helps but he has so many obstacles to overcome that he I don't think it ever happens. And that offense is going to have to continue to run like crazy and check everything down until they move on. From. I, I would also like to point out that Mac Jones pocket awareness was some of the worst I've ever seen uh, early in the season. It got a lot better as the season went on, but man, the, the guy ate sacks. So the Patriots had like probably a top five offensive line in football last year. And they ran the ball a lot and did lots of play action and had very, very intricate play calling by Josh McDaniel. So uh, let, let's just say that they made it as hard for him to sack himself as possible. And he still managed to do it. He took 23 negative sacks, which is 3.9% of his dropbacks. And when you are almost exclusively running three-step drops, quick passes, you're running the ball a lot, lots of play action, you have an elite offensive line, that is unheard of. It doesn't really match up with a lot of the other quarterbacks, like stat for stat, because for instance, Josh Allen is throwing downfield so often, you know? So it's a lot easier to find yourself holding onto the ball, waiting for something to open up because you can uncork something. You can make a play downfield. Mac Jones is never doing that. And he still ate more sacks than Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes on a per snap basis. Now, do you think that's a panic thing? Do you think that's a, if you hold that offense past the first three seconds, since there's no deep routes, you're completely covered. So you're kind of screwed. No, or... there's a few things here. One, I don't think Mac Jones realizes that his arm sucks. I think that Mac Jones thinks that he's got some gunslinger in him. I think he's one of the least self-aware quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, second of all, this was a problem for him at Alabama as well when there were wide open receivers. His pocket processing has always just been poor. He's not a very good thinker on his feet. Um, his processing of an offense, or sorry, his processing of a defense pre-snap is pretty good. I gave him a B plus in his processing general, but it's mostly because he can figure out where his hot guy is before the snap and he gets it out in time. It's not a lot of uh, computing with live bullets flying. I got you. So when, once the play goes, then he's he's not moving through and adapting. It's just what he already read. Yeah, a lot of first reads. And when it's not the first read, it's a check down or a simple read. Like there's a reason that when the Patriots got down big, he either imploded completely throwing interceptions or he threw the ball up in the air like an arm punt 
and hoped that one of his receivers came down. He's just not a refined thinker. He's not an impressive athlete. He does not have an impressive arm talent. Frankly, his being picked in the first round last year was a testament to Bill Belichick's general failure as an evaluator of talent. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see what happens to that team without McDaniels, especially since apparently Matt Pat's calling plays. But With Matt Patricia calling the plays, I legitimately believe that the Patriots being the worst offense of the NFL is on the table. The Bears will give them a run for their money. Oh, fuck, that's a good segue. Number two on the C-minus list. Hey, Who we got? These are Cs. This is the C list. I'm sorry, just these two, I, I automatically think they're C-minuses because I have very little hope for them. Um, I apologize. Number two on the C list. Who we got? Uh, so our newly upgraded number 26 quarterback is Justin Fields. Chicago Bears. Uh, keeping in theme with the 2021 class of quarterbacks, uh, they suck. They suck, and it's not... There's no hope. I had originally Justin Fields at 27, just below Mac Jones. And then I finished watching Mac Jones and realized, holy fucking shit. There is something more destitute than destitution. It's Mac Jones. Uh, Please don't get it twisted. Justin Fields is a steaming pile of shit as well. And I absolutely nailed his scouting report coming out as well. Yeah, he's kind of the, the opposite of Mac Jones isn't he? In many ways. I think that's a fair statement. Um, so remember when I told you that I was torn because I wasn't quite sure if Mac Jones's game against the Saints was the worst game I've ever seen from a quarterback? I do recall that. So remember that Mac Jones in that game had a negative play percentage of about 52. He was accurate on only about 51% of his passes. And he had a slugging score, which is my little algorithm that helps me uh, keep track of what kind of performance we're looking at here. His slugging score is negative 25, which is the lowest of all time, but that's heavily affected by volume, right? Well, the exact same week, the exact same week, Justin Fields made his second start. And that was arguably a worse performance, despite fewer snaps. I remember this game. That's because it was against what used to be your Cleveland Brown. Correct. So Justin Fields in this game only threw the ball 23 times. How many of those do you think were accurate? Uh, we'll go with half. You would be grossly incorrect. He was accurate on 39.13% of his passes. Wow. His Mac was 51 accurate? Yes. Okay. So... But don't wait. No, no, no. Wait. It gets worse. He had three positive throws. <laughs> and they were all simply good. They were solid. Not great, not elite. He had 13 bad throws and a pickable. Additionally... Justin Fields ate five sacks that were absolutely his fault. Yeah, he he ate a lot of grass that week. He additional on top of the five sacks that were his fault, which is not to be confused with the other two sacks that were not his fault at all. He had two negative runs where he tried to run the ball and it was not helpful. It was actually harmful. This means that in week three, in this very limited number of snaps, Justin Fields produced a negative play on 67.74% of his dropbacks. By far the highest margin I have ever seen. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Over two-thirds. Over two-thirds. Is that, like, what's the closest anybody else has ever come to? Is it, was it Mac Jones in that other game? Or the, because you said there was another game Mac had, what, negative 54? Let's hold off on the uh, on the worst game for comparison because it's too good of a segue and we'll get there later. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Okay. So let's keep going with Fields. So he's had uh, some real bad games. I remember the Cleveland game. I don't, you know, I think the Nagy hurting him because that was a narrative was that Nagy set him up to fail in that game, right? And uh, the Browns with Miles Garrett and Clowney, they were, you know, really well set up to 
murder him. I didn't think Nagy was as bad as people talked about. How much do you think was on him versus on fields in that game? In that particular game, I think it was solely on fields. Um, But, and in general, I think that Matt Nagy gets a little bit of a bad reputation. Like, let's remember that this man won coach of the year and brought his team to the playoffs with Mitch True fucking Bisky like three years ago. Uh, He's the guy who polished Patrick Mahomes with Kansas City. And there's a reason Andy Reid brought him back to be the offensive coordinator immediately upon his firing. I Matt Nagy knows how to coach some football, especially on offense. But I was going to say, I think he was just a classic, not a good head coach, but he is a great offensive mind. One way or another, I don't think that there is a worse possible fit for Matt Nagy than Justin Fields. Matt Nagy's offense revolves, it's very West Coast, it's very spread. It revolves around getting playmakers the ball in space, quick reads that limit the quarterback's processing. Okay, so the idea behind Matt Nagy's offense is we're going to get this ball out so quick that our quarterback doesn't have to be smart. We're going to get this ball out so quick that as long as our quarterback reads the play before the snap, we're good. We're going to get this ball to a playmaker in some space so that he can make yards after the catch. But the problem is that Justin Fields is not only the worst processor I've ever seen play quarterback in the history of the NFL, but he also has one of the longest most hesitant releases I've ever seen from a quarterback in the NFL. So asking Justin Fields to step into Matt Nagy's offense, get the ball out quick, make reads quickly before the snap, throw the ball immediately and get it to his receivers on time in stride for them to get upfield after the catch. It is a match made in hell. It's interesting that you say that because I agree with you. I feel like they're a really bad match, but that's what Nagy is apparently chosen because he picked the bears when Trubisky was their young quarterback and Trubisky and fields are pretty similar. And they're like the type of quarterback they are very of they've got a lot of athletic skills, but how well can they read the football field? And then they went out and traded up to select Justin Fields. Like that was his guy to save his time in Chicago. And it's like the worst guy. So I don't know if Matt Nagy just doesn't know what, like he's not self-aware. I think I know what his problem is. Okay. And this doesn't necessarily need to turn into a Matt Nagy thing, but. Well, it's okay because it focuses on fields and the disc. So I actually think that Trubisky and fields are very similar, but there is a slightly different reason that they come to the exact same place in the end. Um, Mitch Trubisky is very dumb. He's very dumb, but a little smarter than Fields on the football field. Meanwhile, Mitch Trubisky is wildly inaccurate. He is just a very poor, inconsistent passer. Justin Fields is actually a pretty accurate passer, and his precision, his consistency of accuracy, is also fairly good. I mean, they're not great, but they are much better than you would expect from somebody who is so ineffective as a passer. I gave Justin Fields B accuracy and B minus precision. And when you couple that with his A minus arm strength, because he really does have a cannon, that's like really, really good. That's a really, really good set of passing traits. When you, add in the, when you add in the fact that he's an A minus runner, because he's strong and fast and long, he should be built in a lab perfect quarterback. The problem is he is so incredibly poor at the mental aspect of the game. And I think that what Matt Nagy misses is, so Trubisky failed to run the Bears offense properly because he would simply miss throws. You couldn't trust Trubisky to work on a play that took longer to process because he wasn't very smart. And you couldn't, you couldn't ask him to throw downfield because he wasn't accurate. And then he would still screw you over because he's not consistent or precise enough to hit the short plays, right? Yeah, he was, he was a gem. 
I loved watching him play. I hope he wins the job in Pittsburgh. I sure did not enjoy watching him play. And frankly, I've never felt as insane in my life as his first year as the Bears starter when Chicago was certain they had found the guy. I legitimately questioned my own sanity for a year. Yeah, I I remember getting a lot of uh, Chicago area media from you of you going like, am I crazy? Like, this guy's terrible. They all love everybody. My dad, my dad, who like hardly pays attention to football anymore. He's a fucking teamster in Chicago. Like, you know, the most meathead type of dude. My dad is texting me on Sundays. We found our guy. Mitch is the guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you always get that with star franchises that have been starved for a quarterback. Like the Browns, that would happen anytime you drafted somebody. Like it didn't matter. You gave them the benefit of the doubt they were good just because you hoped. But there were a lot of people that legitimately thought he was good for like a while after he started playing. This is a little bit of a tangent, but the thing that frustrates me the most about teams that never have good quarterbacks, such as the Browns and Bears, is that Browns and Bears fans will cream their pants over really shitty quarterbacks like a Johnny Manziel or a Mitch Trubisky. But God forbid they ever get a really good quarterback like a Jay Cutler or a Baker Mayfield, they run them right the fuck out of town over the littlest shit. It is a it's actually hilarious for the Browns that you compare Baker and Johnny and say like these are two dudes that are wildly different from each other because you remember that was the the narrative that Baker was just Johnny 2.0 well it, it turns out that the entire selling point of our podcast is that we actually know what the fuck we're looking at and actually watch film whereas it turns out most other people stick their finger up their ass wave it in the air and tell you which direction the smell is blowing <laughs> Uh, that is definitely the first time in my life I've ever heard that sentence. Well, I'm a creative sort, but that's what I come for. We were talking. That's why about I show up to work. We were talking about how fucking putrid Justin Fields is at the mental aspect of playing quarterback because Justin Fields is consistently inaccurate on his throws, not because he threw the ball inaccurately. The ball actually is going exactly where he wants it to go with really good velocity and drive and the proper angle. It's usually even the correct read. The problem is that he is consistently, and I mean consistently, like a clock striking 12 twice a day, consistently a full second late on every single pass. And that means that when he throws the ball exactly where he wants the ball to go, and it's a full second late, it's hitting the defensive back in the hip instead of the wide receiver in the hand, because it's just behind, because he's like a second slow in time. Like, he needs a flux capacitor to get up to speed with the rest of us. He needs to hit jump to live TV so that he can get on the same fucking timeline as the rest of society. But he can't. He's stuck. It's like when you're on delay because you're watching your football game via a stream and your buddy keeps texting you, did you see that play? And you haven't because you don't know how to hit jump to live. That's Justin Fields. And part of that is also because of his extremely elongated release. He has a Tim Tebow release where he pulls the ball back, he turns it over so that the tip of the ball is actually facing the ground, and then he flips his hand back over on his way to a very long-armed release. It So Matt Nagy probably looked at Trubisky and Fields and said, okay, Fields is also inaccurate like Trubisky, but he has a stronger arm, he's a bigger kid, and if I could just get Trubisky to be a little bit more accurate, it would have worked. Fields is a little bit more accurate, so it'll work. The mental side is just not there. And Nagy thinks that because he eliminates the mental side of the game with his scheme, 
that Fields will be able to rise above that. But the problem is that Nagy, basically what Matt Nagy does with Justin Fields' brain is what every casual football fan does with every shitty quarterback like a Teddy Bridgewater that they don't really watch. They think, oh, he's safe because he's a game manager. And it turns out quarterbacks like Mac Jones try to turn the ball over a lot. It turns out shitty quarterbacks like a, a Jacoby Brissett try to put the ball in harm's way a lot. You just assume that they're safe because you don't have any frame of reference for them. Matt Nagy assumes that Justin Fields can operate his offense sufficiently from a mental aspect because he can't imagine that anybody could be that stupid. Yet here we are. It is Justin Fields, the dumbest quarterback in the NFL's history. And before anybody fucking drops this on me, because I'm aware, I know that Justin Fields got a scholarship offer to Harvard for football. One, I think the Browns front office has proven it's not that difficult to get an Ivy League scholarship as a football player. You don't have to be fucking smart. Two, having personally met many several Ivy League football players very recently, I can tell you they're not very smart at all. And three, maybe Justin Fields is a fucking genius. Maybe the guy is a chess grandmaster and he does math quicker than me and he reads and he writes beautiful. It's like Shakespeare when he speaks. But that doesn't necessarily translate to the football field. Ryan Fitzpatrick was a fucking genius. Ryan Fitzpatrick did a lot of really stupid fucking shit on the football field. It's different. Do you think he's slow to process or he's not confident in what he's seeing? Because it looks to me like he hesitates. Like he sees it, but he doesn't trust himself, so he doesn't throw. And to me, that feels like you could try and give him confidence. But confidence is a finicky thing with a quarterback. Well, so that's actually something that I've considered, and it's something I struggled with mightily when I was grading Justin Fields coming out. He was blessed at Ohio State because while I was not particularly high on Olave or on Garrett Wilson, they're both very obviously starting NFL wide receivers. And when you have both of them on the field at the same time at Ohio State, Big Ten defenses just didn't know what the fuck to do with them. So everybody played 10 yards off coverage. And I would watch as Justin Fields stares down a slant across the middle of the field. And he's looking at the guy that he's going to throw to. And the guy is open. And he's looking at him. And I don't know if it's because he's scared or if he's not ready or if it's because his brain just isn't like his synapses are firing that slowly. I have no idea. But you're right. It could absolutely be hesitation. The problem is... At no point did I see that hesitation reduce. I never saw it go away. And if you're not going to be confident as a top 10 pick to the Chicago Bears coming out of the Ohio State where you were a Heisman Trophy candidate, when are you going to become confident? If you're truly that insecure, point. it's never getting better. That's a good point. Yeah, and that because that was the thing that I talked about where I was a little higher on him than you because you talked about that he's late on everything. He can make every throw, but he doesn't. And I went, well, it looks like he's just, like he's unsure of his reads and you give him a little bit more seasoning because he's a young quarterback that didn't play a ton of games. So you give him a little bit more seasoning, let him get some snaps. And that's why I said he shouldn't play his entire first year. Bears, obviously the Dalton injury forced them. And I think they wanted to play him anyway, but yeah, he looked terrible. And I don't think a guy that you're worried about his confidence, then that's going to get any better from here on out. Yeah. And, and so I do think it needs to be said that the reason I flipped Fields and Mac Jones is because Fields was putrid, but he also had a few moments of okayness uh, against Green Bay Week 6. What's that? I was going to say, tell me about it. So against Green Bay Week 6, he was accurate on 73% of his passes, which isn't great, but it's enough. He had more positive plays than negative. That was extremely rare for him. He tried to turn the ball over twice, but he had a couple of really nice throws, and I thought that it was a B-minus performance. I thought it was fine. And you know what? That's a huge step for him. Now, he immediately took a giant leap backwards, putting up 
what should have been an F, but was mercifully a D minus against Tampa Bay the next week. And then he put on a little uh, a little streak. So between weeks six and nine, if you take away Tampa Bay, which was putrid as fuck, he went Green Bay B minus, San Francisco B minus, Pittsburgh Monday Night Football B. And if you look at it, all of this is predicated upon hitting a few big plays, which kind of outweighs how many negative plays he had. Because like against Pittsburgh, it was it was his highest graded game. He was only accurate on 57% of his pass. He had more negative plays than positive, but he had three really, really nice throws down the field. Yeah, and that's because where you have the upside with him that you don't have with Mac Jones. Exactly. Of He can go run and create stuff, and he can chuck the ball far downfield and occasionally is really accurate with it or makes the right read. So you do have that ceiling of he can figure it out maybe. And, you know, everyone has kind of gotten warped by the Josh Allen stuff we talked about with Trey Lance last week. So I don't think he's going to get there with the issues you've outlined, but who knows? He does have the ability physically. Physically. Yeah. I mean, physically, he's everything you'd ever want in a quarterback. He's the right size. He's got the right speed. He's got the right arm talent. He just mentally, technically is his ability to, uh, to do all the minutia. So like, I'm really big on uh, not giving a fuck about a throwing motion. I don't care. I don't care. Complete the ball. I don't care if you drop the ball and then you kick it and you blow on it really hard and it wafts into the hands of your wide receiver on Angel's wings. I really don't give a flying fuck. Your job is to complete the pass. Just do it, right? But there is something to be said for the fact that Justin Fields' footwork is terrible. His release is terrible. His throwing motion is terrible. His hesitation or inability to see the throw is terrible just every single fucking aspect of his game outside of arm strength speed and accuracy is terrible and that's concerning yeah i don't have a lot of faith in the new the new coaching staff to bring the best out of no i i completely agree and i i said it a little bit last podcast and i'm saying it again it's just another case of the bears drafting a really shitty quarterback who the entire city has completely bought into once again And it's going to set them back three to five years, depending on how much of a disaster he is. And I'll be back next time they draft a quarterback, and it probably won't go any better unless they wise up and have me make the decision for them. (laughs) Hey, I'll I'll be lobbying. I'll send some tweets. Hey, I'll I'll drive down to their headquarters. Well, it'd be up. It's in Lake Forest. Is it? Of course it is. It's actually very pretty. They have a hockey rink right next to it. I used to play there. Um, I'm sure. Out of touch. Exactly. Uh. The other thing about Justin Fields that I just have to quickly say is that when it comes to the depth of his accuracy, like he's particularly terrible at throwing short passes. Like that's his worst area of the field when it comes to accuracy, which is really convenient when you're running a Matt Nagy quick pass offense. So again, just a match made in hell. And then as as strong as his arm is and as little processing is necessary for a deep ball, he's actually not very good at deep balls. He overthrows them most of the time. So while we talk about how great he is physically, and how his accuracy is solid, it's not good. It's just sufficient. I, yeah, I don't think, I, I'm I'm confident in saying that while Justin Fields is a wild physical talent, I'm not worried that he will break out at any point and make me look stupid at all. Yeah, I'm not really worried about that either. He has some ability, but with the, the coaching staff they have put in place, unless something crazy happens and it just clicks for him, I think he's always going to be in that realm of you occasionally see great highlights, but he washes out because he can't do the little stuff. I think that's uh, all that's to be said about number 26, Justin Fields. Who's number 25? So remember when you were asking me a little bit earlier about the worst game I've ever seen and, you know, the highest rate of negative plays we've ever seen in one game? Yes, I do recall. 
And I told you that week three, Mac Jones was at 52%. He had a high volume, so he ended up hurting his team in the aggregate more than anybody I've ever seen. And that Justin Fields had the highest negative play rate I had seen all year with a 67.74. Well, there's one game that stands out above the rest. One game that truly will just break your heart. And that is the 2019 I'm Seeing Ghosts game, Sam Darnold versus the New England Patriots. And that is going to be the next quarterback on our list. Carolina Panthers starter, Sam Darnold. Yes. Uh, Just for a little bit of um, perspective, shall we say, in the I'm Seeing Ghosts game, Sam Darnold had a negative play on 60.53% of his passes, or dropbacks rather, meaning it is slightly less negative than Justin Fields' game against Cleveland last year. Granted, Sam Darnold hasn't gotten much better. No, I think his rookie year was his best year when everyone was like, well, yeah, okay, that was decent. Hopefully gets a little better next year. And he has only gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Sam Darnold is I actually don't know what the avenue towards him looking like an NFL quarterback is. Like, for instance, with Mac Jones, we know what he has to do to get by. He has to throw those short passes and he has to be consistent. With Justin Fields, we know what he could do to get by. You know, you put him in a Lamar Jackson offense where his legs are his first read and you utilize his arm talent to be explosive downfield rather than consistent and uh, reliable. With Sam Darnold, I don't know because he doesn't really have a good arm. I give him a B to a B plus arm power. He's not good at reading the field. He's a playmaker. Like he, he'll run around. He'll try to make extravagant plays. He'll try to create out of scheme, but he's stupid. So he creates a lot of turnovers in this way. He's not accurate. He doesn't drive the ball. He's Blake Bortles, which was my comp for him coming out of USC. And it has rung true. Yep, I remember that you had, we had like his ceiling could be Matt Stafford. His floor could be, I don't remember who his floor was. It was someone real bad. And then you were like, his probable is like, Blake Bortles, maybe a little better. And I was like, man, that sounds a little low on him. Like uh, that freshman year at USC, man. It was really just that one game against Penn State. I remember watching that Rose Bowl against Penn State. And I was I was watching it with my roommates at the time. And I, I looked at one of my buddies and I was like, dude, that's a first overall pick. Like that's a real first overall pick. He's going to be good. Yeah, I remember like articles got written about the guy. Like, oh, a few years from now, watch out. And it turns out he never got any better at all. It, it was kind of Matt Barclay. Like yeah. he even has that same floating ball that he can't really seem to drive. He's got a lot stronger of an arm than Barkley because who doesn't except Tua. But like it was, I don't see anything in Sam Darnold that would make me believe he could be good. I never had. And I don't, I know that a, like uh, Colin Cowherd fell in love with him. I think mostly just because like he's friends with his dad or some shit. I don't really understand it. He, he would like, he would like to bang on the fact that Sam Darnold's a big kid who's mature. Well, okay. He's big, but he doesn't have a strong arm. He's not a runner, so his size doesn't really help him. He's mature, but he's not a good processor at all. Yeah, and, he, and it's not like he handles the pressure well. Like, exactly. as soon as pressure gets on, he crumbles. Like, all these intangible things that pundits love to talk about, they typically should, or at least could, manifest themselves in certain ways on the field. So, like, a guy who's mature should be a good decision maker in the pocket. He should process well and he should handle pressure well in the pocket, right? Those do not apply to Sam Darnold at all. It is very certain. A guy who's big should have a strong arm, but that's not the case with Sam Darnold. A, a guy who is g- went to a big school, like a, a pedigreed program, like a USC or a Texas back in the day in Alabama and LSU, they should come out polished and refined and ready for the pro game. That's not Sam Darnold. It's just, I don't see any 
redeeming qualities. Now, the reason I have him above Fields and Jones is because he is a little bit more experienced and we have seen his game level off and become more consistently average, whereas those two are still prone to absolute fuckery. But I, by no means do I want to lead anybody to believe that I would rather have Sam Darnold than Justin Field. Like if, if I, you gave me a franchise tomorrow and you said like, you've got to take one of these guys, I'm taking Justin Fields over Darnold. I'm taking Lamar Jackson over Darnold. I'm taking Zach Wilson over Darnold because I at least see an avenue towards them becoming good, possibly, even if I don't believe in it. I don't think Sam Darnold is shit or can become shit. I think he's frustrating and mediocre at his best point. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't really have anything else to add to that. And I feel like we kind of know what Darnold is at this point. We've got a few seasons and a couple different places. Granted, not the best places for a quarterback to succeed, but I think he had plenty of opportunity and it's just kind of what he is. He's not good. And I don't think he really has the the thing like you were saying, Justin Fields, he just needs to click mentally or Lamar, like he just make the little stuff, complete the passes under 10 yards. Like Darnold there, he's just not good. Yeah, I, like I will give Darnold this. His best aspect of his game is his playmaking. Like he is the, there are certain guys who just, I call it getting it. He sort of gets it. Like Josh Allen really gets it. Even when Josh Allen doesn't know how to read a play, even when Josh Allen's missing passes, he sees the game the way a Madden player does. But the problem is that when Darnold tries to free ball like that and tries to improvise, it, it ends up badly so often because he doesn't have the physical tools. Um, I mean, we saw it with the Jets in an Adam Gase offense that prioritizes the mediocre a lot like what Matt Nagy's did in Chicago. Um, you see a lot, you see Darnold able to like hold his own and be a C minus quarterback over the long term in that offense. And with Carolina last year, you saw him probably average about a C minus grade again. Frankly, I haven't finished grading his entire season because I don't feel the need to. He has shown me what he is and I don't expect him to start beyond this year. So it's not useful information for me to focus on, but he's never going to win you a game. He will lose you some. He's just not spectacular. And I don't think there's much else that needs to be said. I agree. Let's move on to number 24. All right. Number 24. This is where we get to the tier, like within the C quarterbacks, I think there are two tiers. There are the three we've already mentioned who are like very flawed. And frankly, I don't think you should have hope for them. And then there are three where I can understand the plebeians convincing themselves that something might be here. So the bottom of this the apparent quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks this season, Drew Locke. Drew Locke. I guess he's Coming the backup number quarterback. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because I actually don't know where to put Geno Smith. I don't think that there should be a significant difference. And frankly, if I was forced to try, I would give them the exact same 2.0 grade. Um, the thing about Drew Locke is that kind of similar to Justin Fields, there's not a lot of reasons he shouldn't be good. And Drew Locke has got a similarly very strong arm. He's pretty mobile. He's got a lot of the same qualities that people liked about Zach Wilson, able to change arm angles. He was highly productive in college. But Drew Locke is just eternally fucking up he's inaccurate yeah, you talk about a guy that can't think when when stuff starts happening yeah and again it's another guy who apparently by all accounts drew lock is really smart off the field just like justin fields but i don't care because i'm not betting on them to like get good grades or be a nice guy be a good boyfriend raise good kids i'm betting on them to throw footballs to open receivers and score touchdowns and win games and that's that i like when you limit it to that and you don't make it personal, it's really easy to say Drew Locke sucks. And yes, his arm talent is large. His mobility is impressive. He was a college basketball point guard. I don't think he ever played at Mizzou, but he was recruited to. 
he can move, he can move a little bit. And his teammates seemed to really like him. He had the, you know, he had a couple of really cool celebrations and doing the Buzz Lightyear and singing on the bench. He apparently he lip syncs to rap really well. That's lovely. But he's super inaccurate. His consistency of accuracy is off the charts bad. He fumbles a ton. He is prone to just head scratching bullshit. And again, I don't see any way that he can succeed because I don't think that he can fix the mental aspect and I don't think that he can fix the accuracy aspect of his game. As for Geno Smith, I think it's very similar. It's hard with Geno Smith because he's had two games in the last five years. He looked pretty good in relief against the Saints, or against the, uh, not the Saints, the uh, Rams when Russell Wilson went down. And he had a game against the Saints and a game against the Steelers and he looked okay in one and fucking putrid in the other. So I don't know what to make of him either. I really love Geno Smith's release. I think that his accuracy is very good. I think his precision is not. I think his arm strength is not. I think his decision-making is very not. Either way, I think that the Seahawks are kind of fucked at quarterback. And both of these quarterbacks are going to be some of my least confident grades because there's so little film informing it that is recent. I didn't like either quarterback coming out of college. I never liked either of them at any point. I know that there are some people, shout out Restore the Roar, that are super high on Drew Locke. I have no fucking idea where it comes from, and trust me, I've looked. But the way that Drew Locke literally fumbled away the game against the Bengals last year with Denver, as putrid as he looked consistently in Denver over the course of his career there, two seasons of really meaningful games, I just don't get it. Yeah, and he was one that you know, the Broncos aren't known for their offensive systems. They had Pat Shermer at the beginning with Drew Locke, and Shermer is a good offensive coordinator. Then they had who Scangarello. Yep. Who, you know, not a savant, but he's a good offensive coordinator and they had weapons like that offense has been solid for a few years. Just they had no one to throw the ball. They, you know, the O-line has come into form a little bit and the playmakers have always been electric. So it's not like he was in a terrible situation either. He just couldn't do anything. Every time you watched him play, you had more like highlights of him running the wrong way and fumbling than of him doing something exciting. And that's just highlights. Like if you actually watch the game, he's missing stuff left and right. Yeah. So I don't think that anybody would argue that 2020 was a good season for Drew Locke. I don't think anybody was impressed. And then he hardly played last year. Teddy Bridgewater demanded that starting job. And if you're not getting a starting job over Teddy Bridgewater, you're fucking up. So the thing that really built a lot of hype for a lot of people is Drew Locke's last four games in his rookie season 2019. Except when I went and graded those games a couple years ago, I had no fucking idea what people were looking at then either. I, I pulled it up on the screen that we share, but like, if you look at it, he had one decent game against a putrid Detroit team with Matt Patricia calling the defense, and it was mediocre at best. He was about as positive as he was negative. It was a lot of pedestrian plays. He manipulated the pocket well, and he just avoided taking sacks. But every game besides that, multiple turnover-worthy plays, fairly inaccurate. The offense was dumbed down significantly to manage him. And on the aggregate, he was significantly more negative than he was positive. And yeah, it's his rookie season, but we haven't seen any reason to believe he should be improved. And again, we have to assume that the coaching staffs know something about their players. The fact that Drew Locke could not get snaps over Teddy Bridgewater, despite being the incumbent quarterback, and the fact that Teddy Bridgewater played so incredibly Teddy Bridgewater-esque last year, 
just being completely milquetoast tells me that Drew Locke doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it, and he's not gonna have it. And the fact that Geno Smith is currently beating him out for the starting job in Seattle, according to all reports, tells me that I'm not going to have to list Drew Locke on this list next year. He will not be a starting quarterback, and therefore it's not worth putting any more time in. Yeah, I'm honestly shocked he's even in the conversation to start this year, but it looks like the Seahawks are just going to run the ball 60 times a game, so they don't really care. Yeah, like, again, I can see why somebody would get excited just in that Drew Locke has a very strong arm and he's got very good mobility, but he's never been a good quarterback, and I don't think he ever will. I tend to agree with you there. Any more to say? Are you ready for number 23? Let's move on to another head scratcher. So this one is one that I feel like is probably the the guy that I have the most hope for of anyone in this tier. Yep. That is kind of the balance of we've seen production and he has the tools, but let's get into it. Who's number 23? I completely agree with you. This is a guy who I legitimately believe, let's put it this way. Quarterback number 23, Daniel Jones, will not be in the C tier next year because we will either find out that he is a lot better than we've seen or he will not be graded because he will not be starting because he sucked. Yeah, this is definitely a make or break it year. You know, he's finally got a really well-respected offensive mind calling the shots. The offense has a lot of playmakers. You know, you wonder, maybe you argue about what level of playmakers they are, whether they're truly elite or just good but they have a lot of guys that you can get the ball to and a great offensive mind. So he has everything he could ask for to have a productive season. Yeah. So there have been several quarterbacks we've listed already that are going to have make or break seasons like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it's make or break. Tua, make or break. Very clearly. Darnold, Locke. The problem with all the guys I just named is that it's pretty much just break. Like, I don't think anybody really believes they'll make it or at least nobody with a brain. Mm -hmm. I think that Daniel Jones could make it. And... Daniel Jones is a lot like Drew Locke in that he's got a fairly strong arm. It's not quite as strong as Locke's, but it's strong. He's mobile. According to the GPS stats, he's the fastest quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I take that with a heavy dose of salt, enough to give me hypertension, but the song remains the same. The guy can move. Frankly, a lot of my optimism for Dan Jones comes from the fact that I saw what he did to the Washington Redskins in week two on Thursday Night Football last year. And that Redskins defense didn't end up becoming as good as we thought they were going to, because if you'll recall, coming off 2020, we thought they'd be fucking elite. And they were mediocre. Yeah, to put it mild. To put it mild. But in that game, I saw Daniel Jones attacking the second level. In that particular game, Daniel Jones did what Matt Ryan used to do so well, throwing the ball on those crossers and on those outbreakers a good 9 to 13 yards downfield with good drive on the ball, precision, consistency, ball placement, and it all just came together. And I thought that that was, if, if he could just do that every game, we're looking at a legitimate B-minus quarterback. We are looking at a guy who belongs amongst the starters of the NFL. Now, naturally, he proceeded to never do that again. Correct. As Dan Jones is known to do. And we would be remiss if uh, we didn't mention his incredible capacity to fumble the football and take a sack that nobody needed him to take. He, he does love the head scratchers. It's also funny to me because when he was coming out of Duke, one of the things that people tried to sell me on regarding Danny Jones is, well, yeah, David Cutcliffe, who's such a good quarterback whisperer. I mean, he's the one who made Peyton Manning. So he's going to be really polished. He's going to really know the ins and the outs of football. To which I said, okay, but doesn't that mean he's as good as he's ever going to fucking be? Well, ironically, his best hope for success in the NFL is that David Cutcliffe did not maximize him and wasn't that good at coaching because Daniel Jones processing 
needs to drastically improve in order for him to become an NFL quarterback. I give his processing a C plus. I give his pocket awareness as a D because remember that includes his ability to eat sacks that he shouldn't and his propensity to fumble, which is terrible. But when you now is this in- just is this just pre snap that he's really bad or is it once the oh it's all of once it. the ball is snapped. At no point do I see Daniel Jones handling information well. At no point. He panics when he's pressured. He panics when the picture is muddy and he's looking at a confusing defense. Uh, I legitimately think that if Daniel Jones played against the Packers with this Joe Barry fog defense that they play, or even the Bengals with their drop eight, Lou Anarumo, like conservative coverage defense, I think he'd throw five picks. He just doesn't know how to fucking handle information. Whether it is a rusher, whether it whether it is a coverage, it doesn't compute for him. Do you think that's a thing that can get fixed with Dable? Or because I generally think if you show this many years of not really improving, I don't think it's really gonna click. Now Dable's really impressive and he's the one that a lot of people credit with kind of fixing Josh Allen and turning him from just an athletic marble that would run 30 yards the wrong way and take crazy sacks into an MVP guy, MVP level guy. So maybe, but do you think that happened? Uh, If I had to pick, if I had to bet, I would say that Dable improves Daniel Jones, but not enough to make him worth keeping. Um, I think that the way that Dable fixed Josh Allen largely to the extent that he fixed him at all is that they realize Josh Allen's never going to be a precision passer, but as long as you hit enough home runs, it doesn't matter that you're striking out. I don't think that that cross sports. Exactly. I don't think that Daniel Jones got an opportunity under Jason Garrett to swing for the fences often enough. And while I don't think that he's a particularly adept uh, big play explosion guy, I think that that's something that he could do. So I am not optimistic, but I'm not doubtful either. I just, I agree with you that it's hard to imagine a quarterback can be something when we've seen for so long that he isn't quite. Yeah. And you know, this is definitely a big step up in the offensive coaching he has received to this point. So I could see it turning around. I just don't have a lot of faith. I still think he's the most likely of anyone in this tier to be able to turn it around, but I don't think it's likely. Yeah, if I had to take somebody from the C tier, I would take Daniel Jones. And the only reason that I have him behind the quarterback one above him is because of pedigree. But I don't know what more you can say about Daniel Jones. Honestly, he's like the most nondescript. I don't think anybody has a really strong take about Daniel Jones in the entire NFL media escape. And I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, I'm sure there are Giants people that are one way or another on him like crazy. But as far as national, yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of just, yeah, we'll wait and see. All right, well then let's move on to number 22, the final quarterback in the C tier. Who do we got? So again, I would rather have Daniel Jones than this guy, but 22 is going to be Jared Goff. And it's mostly just because I'm a little bitch that doesn't want to argue with all the people who will say he went to a Super Bowl. Fair enough. I mean, Jared Goff has done the kind of the perfect game manager thing throughout his career and got really lucky in uh, surviving some Jeff Fisher and getting Sean McVay. But it was still, I don't know how many people would argue that he had anything to do with a lot of his success and more of the situation he was in. But you do have to give him credit. He has had a certain level of productivity. Uh, so Sean McVay absolutely made him. Uh, those of you who are absolute fucking degenerates like myself may remember that once upon a time, Sean McVay would wait until there were exactly 14 seconds left on the play clock 
to finally call the play at the line of scrimmage so that Jared Goff didn't have to do any pre-snap thinking because at 14 seconds, that is when the connection between the play caller and the quarterback cuts off in the helmet. So they would hustle up to the line, they would get set, and then Sean McVay would tell Jared Goff the answers to the test before the snap. And then Jared Goff would proceed to go out there and still usually fuck it up because he's just that bad. He is extremely stupid. He is a terrible processor before and after the snap alike. He does not have an impressive arm in any way. He just is super consistent. And there is something to be said about a guy who will give you a D-plus game every single game, game in and game out, rather than a guy who will give you an F and sometimes a C and maybe even a B some. So Jared Goff is consistently kind of shitty. He is never good. He is rarely putrid anymore, although he once was with the Rams. Earlier in his career, he was putrid quite often. He has kind of taken that out of his game. He's another guy that I didn't grade particularly heavily because I have a large amount of evidence stocked up on him already. And frankly, I don't think that he will be starting past this year anyway. I think that if the Lions had any brain on their shoulders whatsoever, they'd be trying to get a guy like a Baker Mayfield to start this year. They absolutely should have drafted somebody to start this year. I know that they're probably hoping that they get a top five pick next year and they get a Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whoever. But I think that team's too good, though. I agree. I think that they have a very good top five offensive line. I think that they have solid wide receivers. I think they've got a solid secondary. I think they've got a good defensive line. I yeah, they've not, really invested in that D-line the last I, couple of years. I do not understand how they can get a top 10 pick. And I legitimately have no idea how good the quarterbacks in this next draft are because I don't watch college football unless I'm scouting for the draft. That being said... This is this is Jared Goff's last year as a starter in the NFL. I would be surprised if he made it all 18 or all 17 games as the starter. I see no upside for him, and I think we all know what he is. I would much rather have Daniel Jones, but the consistency and the pedigree have to mean something. And when it's close, I don't mind giving the slight nudge to Jared Goff over Daniel Jones, neither of which should really be a starting quarterback in the NFL, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with you that neither should realistically be a starting quarterback. I understand the appeal of Jared Goff a little bit like in the Lions situation where you think you have a pretty solid roster now, but you still have to do a lot of evaluating of young guys, see if people are going to, you know, round into form or maintain the production they have put out. And Jared Goff gives you a pretty good like base player that he's not going to go create stuff that makes your other guys look good. And he's not going to do too much that's going to make them look worse. He's going to give you a good picture of what you have around him on the team. So it's valuable if you don't really care about winning that season. So I understand it from that aspect. But yeah, he's he's just a dude. I see Jared Goff very similarly to how I see Teddy Bridgewater and Jacoby Brissett, who would have fit squarely in this tier if they made the list. And they may end up starting a significant amount of games. So they may... I guess we'll just gloss over them really quickly. I think they're both also 2.0 C caliber quarterbacks, just like golf. I don't see any upside with them. I don't think that you should have any hope of them starting next year for you. But in this year, in a pinch, fine. I can understand it. They are fringe top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL at large. I think golf is of those three. I think all three are very similar players in that they're safe and low upside, but they can at least make an offense function. I think golf is the most prone to fucking up. And I think that Bridgewater is the least prone to fucking up. And I think that that's important. However, 
if you have any of those three guys, you you should be absolutely scratching and clawing and going after other teams' backups to start because I would much rather have a guy like a Taylor Heineke or a Kyle Allen than any of these people in this tier, much less a Baker Mayfield. Yeah, all those guys. Because, again, they're, they're that next level of there is upside to them, but we've seen them be more than just like, oh, they didn't wildly fuck up for the team. Like they've all had exciting moments and been successful. Maybe yep. not a ton of it, but they've they've done it. Yeah, I, and this is this is kind of where I'd like to reiterate that like I hate the C quarterbacks. I really do, and I hate the C minus quarterbacks. And if you want to tell me that you think Lamar Jackson fits above all these guys, I'm not gonna really fight you. My only argument is that I don't think Lamar Jackson functions in an offense that isn't the one he currently has. Whereas I think that if you put a Daniel Jones or a Justin Fields in a Greg Roman Baltimore Ravens offense, I think they get better. I I believe that just implicitly that offense improves a quarterback's a quarterback's ability to produce so long as they can run to a, a you know a threshold amount. And I think that Daniel Jones and Justin Fields can. I think if you put Lamar Jackson on the Giants with Jason Garrett, he's out of the NFL. I don't think that he can function as a pocket passer whatsoever, whereas I think that these guys probably could function as an option passer if they had. And if you want to tell me no, fine, because we're dealing in hypotheticals and it's all subjective. And I think all of them suck, but we're not dealing with the cream of the crop here yet. Yeah, the these are the, uh, the weeks you got to kind of slog through. Aren't guys that are that much fun to talk about? I think that people like enjoy hearing me riff about Fields and Mac Jones because those are hot names that people seem to be excited about because delusion is a hell of a drug and so is hope. Definitely. Next week we will get to the C plus quarterbacks and that's where you start to reach those, uh, those middle of the road guys that might be worth starting. Might be probably not, but they could be. Yeah. And they're, and when we talk about them, there's like more positivity to it. That's what I'm talking about of, Oh, we've seen a lot of cool stuff and we do see them do good things compared to like uh their tiny little flashes here and i wonder if it'll go on but mainly no this guy sucks like there's some positivity and it's more fun to it most of the c plus quarterbacks have traits that are legitimately impressive in some form or fashion Mm -hmm. whether they always use them exactly whereas like like you could argue that outside of lock and fields none of the c quarterbacks have a physical tool set that is adequate to become a good starting quarterback. Like Mac Jones could polish everything up to the fucking nth degree and just become Drew Brees. And he would still be like the last three years of Drew Brees where he was a below average quarterback. That's just all he can do. Same with Tua, similar with Jalen Hurts. And then Trey Lance and Justin Fields are just so damn brain dead. It doesn't matter. Trey Lance with the added disbenefit of being unable to hit any pass that he throws. Lamar Jackson is a unicorn that doesn't make a lot of sense and isn't particularly great even at what he does, but is exciting. I do feel a little bad for Zach Wilson because I think he could be something. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I agree with you there on Zach. That He's another one that it's a lot of flashes, and I know some of it was hollow in college, but he still did look really good at times. And the team last year was kind of a mess with the injuries they got hit with and their coach like general lack of talent yeah the the head coach isn't great well that's another thing that's really like frustrating and that kind of needs to be said like I'm grading these quarterbacks in a vacuum right which is why Lamar Jackson doesn't get credit for running a specific offense that is tailored particularly for him right but at the same time you'll notice a lot of these guys have really shitty coaching staffs either this year or last year like 
Daniel Jones had a shitty coaching staff last year. Drew Locke had a shitty coaching staff last year and probably has one this year. Sam Darnold has a terrible coaching staff, especially when they got rid of Joe Brady. Justin Fields has a terrible coaching staff this year, and last year he had one that really didn't fit him. Mac Jones has a terrible coaching staff this year. Yes, the New England Patriots are going to have probably the worst coaching staff in the NFL this year because Matt Patricia's running their offense and Bill Belichick is mediocre at best. Don't give a fuck. Different podcast. Yeah, I was trying to say that's a, a little bit of a teaser for later on in the summer. Count the winning seasons without Tom Brady. Okay. Zach Wilson is stuck with Robert Salah, who somehow got a head coaching job by calling cover three base every single play with the 49er. Trey Lance has Kyle Shanahan. That's just an abomination on Trey Lance's part. Like, I mean, figure it the fuck out. Same with Jalen Hurts. Nick Sirianni's a really good coach, or at least it seems like it. How are you not producing? Go Birds. Is that your team now? Probably. God damn, that's sad. Pick a team with a quarterback. Well, uh, this is, I can't, I can't just like jump to a team I like every part of. Um, and the Eagles have a, a lot of, you know, they got my hometown guy, Jason Kelsey. And uh, I like the green. Granted, they just put out the worst logo in in football right now. It looks like the Chargers logo spelled differently. It is yeah, and like even thing. more bland, though. It, it's rough. It's really rough. All they had to do is do Kelly Green. But alas, we've talked enough Eagles until they get a new quarterback. And if they started Carson Strong, I'd be on the Eagles with you. Yeah, and they have, and like, I trust Sirianni enough at this point. It's a little cautious optimism, but he looked great last year. And so hopefully he... You know, that's not the offense he wants to run, which it didn't look like because that's not what they started with. So hopefully he wants a passing quarterback. And I trust Howie enough. I don't trust him about wide receivers and QBs are iffy, but he's been doing good stuff. So they have they have room to fix the QB thing. And then I love the team. So we'll see. It gives me a little bit of conflict. So I don't feel guilty about picking a great team right off the bat. This is fair. I'm going to just continue to root for the teams that I bet on, none of which have a quarterback that has been named in the last two shows. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be anywhere near as on the birds as I was about the Browns, but it's mainly it's mainly going to be what you're talking about or just following players I like. So th- This brings us to our last topic for the podcast. Uh, how do you feel about Deshaun Watson closing 20 of his 24 sexual assault and or rape civil charges. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I... I We're not talking about it. We're not talking about it. I'm fucking around. I just don't. Yeah, I was like, I don't don't want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's absolutely no fucking need, and our legal training has given us no expertise that anybody else doesn't fucking have. It yeah, it just the topic has been beat to death. You can find whatever take you w- you would like to find on it. Um, and I personally have moved on. The question is, do we talk about Deshaun Watson next week, the week after, or the week after that? Is he in the top tier, the second tier, or the third tier? I have to tune in to find out. And with that, that'll wrap up this week's edition of qb ranks the c's the c's all right until next time hasta